This is Radio Free Galisteo's podcast, supported by our generous donors on Patreon. You can support Radio Free Galisteo by going to www.radiofreegalisteo.com and clicking on our Patreon button. I'm your host, John Shannon. In today's podcast, we speak with New York City-based artist Mark Lepson. Let's get right to it. I'm speaking with Mark Lepson, who is an artist from the Lower East Side of New York City. He's been there for, how long have you been there? Your whole life? Well, yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn, but been living on the Lower East Side for the last seven or eight years. He's also a master printer, and he's a curator. Mark, that's a, a number of things you're doing all at once. Let's start with the artist, and let's talk about your art. And I'm going to throw out something that... I've observed, and then we can spin off of that. Uh, you paint dead things. Uh, yes, uh, at times I do. It's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, a, a combination of things. I mean, I'm interested in partially, I guess, in, in several levels, things that are not alive. I've been working for for a few years on a project looking at things from the collection of the American Museum of Natural History, mm. where I went into the back rooms of the Department of Mammals, where they have all of their specimens that have been collected over the years um, all over the world, things that aren't on display, and they have drawers and drawers of bones and skins of animals, and then they're in, you know, it's a taxonomical form so that they can catalog all the different things there, and it's, it's fascinating, I think, in a, lot of, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's this very, it's this very Western idea of we're going to find one of everything kill it, and then examine it, and then order it so that we can see our place in relation to these things. And the, the physical, it's a very kind of the way physical remnant or physical, almost like souvenirs of the way that the conquest of the planet. So it's, it's pretty fascinating. And also it's just as objects, they have this amazing power, I think, of all these different animals that we would never see, you know, where we are, where I am, or, and so they're, they're interesting as creatures, things that were formerly alive. So I became interested in that and started really investigating it and making paintings of them as well. And I think it's, it can work as a, it can work allegorically or you can think of it metaphorically about this representation of things that we do also of course to people people do to other people as well in different kinds of ways not so maybe not so literal you know in drawers of course but um who gets to decide which things which people are expendable which animals are expendable how do we where are all the different places for these things in society killing and categorizing uh yeah it's a thing it's a thing that societies seem to do and they're, and they're related to each other, too. You know, not just in all kinds of categorizing, I think. Perhaps the way the humans work uh, is they categorize and then they kill. Um, and then they store or, 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 or study uh, as opposed to uh, trying to uh, work with them live in the moment. Yeah, exactly. There's this impulse to be like somehow the idea that it's easier to study something, to understand it better if it's not alive, right? We can open it up and look inside. And, uh, and that's... It's a different, it's, it's a certain, certain kind of philosophical outlook you need to, to be doing that as opposed to we're going to observe this thing and let it do what it will or this person and let it do what it will and 
interact with it or you know, interact with them or and seeing things seeing also how uh, treating in this case animals completely as other right and mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. it gives it gives people a sense of superiority of course we you know, we're people we're better than these animals and you can extrapolate it to society as well to human societies right a certain sect, certain group of people think we're better than these other people so in order to prove that we can literally or in a figurative ways take them apart and categorize them and put ourselves above them so your, your work has got apart from them being beautiful renditions there's a lot of political angst behind these these actual creations that you've done yeah there's a, there's a lot of thought that goes into it and definitely right now there's a big discussions a lot of discussion debate controversy um within the art world about portraying particularly people's bodies right who's portraying victims of crimes or of, of oppression right how are we who's presenting those bodies how are they being presented why are they being presented is simply showing the dead body of a person or an animal that's been oppressed in some way you know, can that be productive or is that counterproductive that feeds into feeds into the whole system of oppression? So that, and that's a real debate that's quite interesting. And of course, like dealing with that kind of subject matter, uh, you have to think about it as well. I started working with this kind of imagery actually quite a long time ago, maybe almost twenty years ago, around mm. the time of the beginning of the the war in Iraq in two thousand three, where I did a project that was using media images, also uh, personal snapshots, also text from, from newspaper accounts of things that were going on. And for instance, here in the United States, you really would not ever see photograph of the body of a dead soldier, a dead American soldier. Right? You'd see lots of photographs of dead civilians or people suffering on either side, but a dead soldier was kind of pretty much taboo in the American media. So using images like that as part of in, you know, in conjunction with other images as well, and other texts, start to think about that, you know, why, why are some bodies okay to be used in this way and others not? What's your thought on it? What's my thought on it? Yeah. I, mean, I think it's complex. I think that, I think there is a validity to all of it. I mean, of course, from a propaganda standpoint, uh, whatever, whatever group you're a part of, you don't want to show suffering of your own as this is happening, right? Um, you want to show the suffering of other people to to show their their victimhood and reinforce it and your superiority. So of course, um, that's that's real. I think there's definitely a way to there's a way to visually visually deal with death, right? Um, and it can be it can be complex. But what I've done actually, so that's I was working on those things starting yeah maybe almost twenty years ago, and then more recently making paintings of animals, of people, and then really thinking about it, what we were really oversaturated with images, right? We're saturated, we're constantly, if you're on social media, if you're in a city and you're walking down the street, there's images bombarding you from the sides of the bus, from the side of the building. And especially in this last 18 months or so, right, when we were with the pandemic and being confined in a lot of ways, having much less human interaction and experiencing so much of the world through digital media. And I actually went back to some of the 
pictures that I had been working with, pictures I had taken, or pictures from, from news media. I did a project in 2008 called Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, and it was a continuation of the things I was talking about earlier. They were big inkjet prints on canvas, maybe 40 by 60 inches each, and images from the news, images from natural history, images from personal experience snapshots, and also texts about mundane things like the weather, right? These things are constant, they're constantly happening at the same time, there's all this going on around us. But I took those images and literally scrubbed them off the canvases, washed them off the canvases. I have two sons, they helped me with it for a time as well. So blasting it with the washer and scrubbing with a brush until the images became more like washes of color and scrapes. And then I cut them down smaller so they became a little more intimate in scale. And then I started taking captions in the newspaper and transferring those, printing those captions onto the canvases so that this image that once was maybe, I don't know, George Bush giving the Presidential Medal of Honor to George Tenet or something, it's been scrubbed off completely and now has a new caption on it that, that says something like, the region known as Pluto's heart, <laughs> or uh, uh, his hands were empty, which mm. were, you know, one taken, of course, from science and the other taken from the front page of the Daily News after uh, a man in New York was murdered by the police maybe five years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so giving them new meanings and trying to trying to think seriously about ways of like, okay, well, yeah, we all really, we see these images. How do the images representing them, does it reinforce these these oppressive systems or how can we go against it? How can we make poetry out of it or you know, artistic statements that aren't simply a political statement, but more of something that opens you up to contemplation. Are you currently working on those types of projects or or is it something else at the moment? Uh, yeah, so that's that's my most recent work <clears throat> is that series that's it's called Complex Machines That Require Constant Monitoring, which was a, <laughs> a headline that they, seemed very appropriate to me because these are things like all the, all the different mechanisms the, you know of, of social interaction political interaction that they require constant monitoring and they're not so simple we, we tend to oversimplify them yeah i've been working with that i've also been working on a project where i've been photographing boxers mm -hmm. uh, professional boxers mostly women boxers also some of the men's fights i got to go to Madison square garden a couple of years ago to shoot photographs ringside for a championship fight between Heather Hardy and Shelly Vincent. And um, I've been working with those photographs too and making prints from them, screen prints, and then also cutting them up and making collages out of them, taking them from what started as really sports photography, so dynamic images of people punching each other um, and focusing more on other moments from the fight. Uh, there's always in the professional boxing, amateur as well, a clench, right? Where people are, if you're tired or if you're in, trying to get an advantage by actually physically grabbing, hugging the other person. And so taking some of those moments and also blowing up details and then really further abstracting them so that they become, they become combinations of skin and muscle and flesh and you can make out parts of what's happening and other parts become more abstract. So it's a it's a different kind of intimacy than uh, what you would typically find. Exactly, exactly. It, it, 
that's a great way to put it. It's a different kind of intimacy. Exactly. And it's this combination of there's this violent intent, but there's also this form that's very well defined and everyone agrees to it from the beginning. And there's a kind of com a very, I think, fascinating, amazing combination of there's aggression, and there's also a deep respect, and there's also some kind of actual, like, physical, almost physical love in a way, not in a sexual way, but there's like a real, right, the bodies are really working with each other. So, and those things come out. So it's, I think it's very interesting in a lot of layers there. Are these being shown anywhere right now? Where could people go to see these? We're, right now, they're on my website at marklefton.com. Let me, let, me, let me jump in. M-A-R-C-L-E-P-S-O-N.com. MarkLepson.com. That's Mark with a C. Okay. <laughs> go ahead, Mark. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yes. And I'm also work, I work with a gallery in New York City, uh, Miyako Yoshinaga. Mm-hmm. I can spell that too, if you'd like. <laughs> uh, if, uh, if you want, M-I-Y-A-K-O-Y-O-S-H-I-N-A-G-A Gallery, New York. <laughs> Uh, um, I've been working with Miyako. She's a really great gallerist and I have some work that will be up soon on her website. And I've also been curating a series of shows um, for Miyako as well that started um, during the pandemic that let's, I'm happy to talk about. Yeah, let's hear about that. So these were um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, in March of 2020. Miyako got together some of the artists who she'd been working with over the years to think about what, what could we do during this lockdown period of the pandemic because there weren't going to be any in-person art shows and it seems always important to keep art in people's minds, especially during darker times. And um, we decided to do a series of exhibitions online that's called Fermata 3x3. The Fermata being the musical notation for a pause of indeterminate length. So, and the three by three was three images by three artists at a time. Hmm. So we've been curating and I worked together with another artist named Yana Dimitrova, another really great painter. And she and I co-curated, alternated curating a series of shows with simple themes, straightforward themes that related to what's happening culturally where we chose three artists and three works by each. So there were themes like isolation was the first one, or touch. Um, we did a couple of shows called Borders, having to do with both sort of personal borders, but then also political borders as well. Um, the most recent one is called Automatic, and it's three artists working in ways that are intuitive, right? Without a without a plan for the final outcome, you go into making a work with a certain idea about materials or a certain idea about content, but it's not, um, you don't know where it's going to go. The answers come through the working. So that's the sense of automatic as something that happens without thinking. So this is something that's upcoming or it's ongoing? That's, uh, the series is ongoing and that show is up now online. The next one is called Return and that one's going to be up in September. So these are all online at projects dot miyakoyoshinaga.com okay and we know everyone knows how to spell 
Miyako Yoshinaga now, so very good. <laughs> and we're gonna we're, we'll have to make the assumption that they'll get projects right. <laughs> Master printer, that's what it says in your bio. Tell us about how you arrived at that title. Sure. Um, let's see. I was studying photography and. I went to a new school to study and I didn't like the photography teacher and somebody gave a presentation and said, we're doing this thing called etching and you can also do photo etching. And I heard the word photo in there and I thought, okay, I'll try that. And that turned me on to printmaking and I didn't forget about photography, but for, for many years focused really much more on printmaking. So etching, uh, silkscreen are my main my main media. And I worked for several years at a print shop in New York City called the Lower East Side Print Shop, which is a community-based print shop that had started in the early 70s. And I got there in the late 90s and worked uh, as a doing administrative work and also as a master printer. In between, I had gotten a master's degree from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago printmaking. And so that was a great really great place to be because we offered fellowships for artists who were not necessarily printmakers to do a print-based project. So somebody would come in with an idea, usually very interesting ideas, but without knowing how to make it happen. And then I and the people we were working with would, um, would make that happen through print. So it was very exciting. So this is something you did pretty early on in your career. Yeah, it's something I did pretty early on and then that I come back to periodically. I was saying before, like the... Um, the project with the boxers started as photographs, but then I made uh, four color screen prints from them over yeah. where I, uh, I took Parsons. Yeah, I was going to ask how, how that experience uh, has informed your, your work, but I guess you, you, you sort of answered that. Does that change the way you, you look at media in general? You know, because I'm Definitely. thinking, I'm thinking you, you know, you pull, you've, you pulled stuff from the news, which is print news, and then you've done this uh, combination of print and screen work. So has that either changed or increased your focus um, in in your in your work in your art? Definitely, I think the two things feed off of each other. You know, my interest in printmaking, in part, comes from my interest in media and journalism, and and back and forth as well. Like I started off with really a love of the aesthetics of billboards. It's huge, huge images. When you get up close on them, they're very abstracted because of the printing processes. And they also perform this function of advertising and of news, you know, within, just on the street. So that was where I started. And it, it is, I come back to it periodically, I think in a, in a cyclical way. And printmaking is very process heavy. You take, you take some, an image and you might print it one way or print it another way. You have to transfer it onto a plate or a screen go back to paper and then you keep working it um so and you don't always have control over <clears throat> what happens how the image looks the way that you can but you can let yourself have a lot of freedom that you don't know where it's going so those things were appealing to me and i, I keep coming back to them and thinking about how <clears throat> how to put the larger you know, way we think of as what we think of as media um through those through those sieves what's next for you What's next? That's a great question. Right now, I am working on a project called the Anarchist Review of Books. Aha. Which is, uh, we have a, a collective who's putting together this book review. And I'm, 
I'm doing working on art direction and layout. So that's a that's a project that's happening right now. And I'm um, I'm hoping then, to speak to some of the other principals of that uh, of that magazine shortly. So it's uh, it's a a nice early introduction to that uh, future interview. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, good. I hope I hope you get a chance to talk to everybody. It's a great. It's a really great group of people, with writers, and and artists that we're working with. So that's what's going on now, and I'm making more paintings. Also, uh, looking to make a move to Athens, Greece to live in Exarchia for some time and uh, see about getting a perspective outside of the, from outside the United States. When people encounter your artwork, what is your hope that they take away from it? I think my goal is to make images that make people think about their own relationship to other people, places, things in the world, right? Think about what your position is. Also, I'd like my work to also really be presenting a mood or a feeling as well. I think when those two things work together, when you can look at something and make a connection of a human feeling kind of connection together with something that lets you think about broader ideas or broader experiences, those are really my goals. Final thoughts? It's great to have a conversation like this. I really appreciate speaking with you. I really appreciate you agreeing to uh, talk to us about your work. And again, people can find that work online at marklepson.com. I've spelled it out already for everyone. So please go visit the site. Another question, Mark, are people able to buy your work from that site? You can contact me directly through the site. Absolutely. Most of many of the works are for sale. Okay. You've been listening to painter, master printer, and sometime curator Mark Lepson from New York City's Lower East Side. For Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon. You can support Radio Free Galisteo by going to our Patreon button on www.radiofreegalisteo.com.